Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this meeting today. Today is Sunday, February 14, 2021. The share ID numbers for Friday, February 12th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 16,390. That's 16390. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 16,391. That's 16391. This morning, A Vision for You presents Step 2, Instructions from the Big Book. Powerless. In Step 1, we find complete despair frustration, and bewilderment. The mental obsession condemns us to pick up that first bite when we don't want to. And the phenomenon of craving condemns us to continue eating once we start. We have no choice. We cannot solve the problem of compulsive overeating by ourselves. We've realized that Anything that comes from our own resources, our will, our effort, our self-knowledge, our philosophies, our morality, goals, or good intentions won't solve our problem of compulsive overeating. Our human resources alone simply aren't sufficient. In step two, we are given the solution. Our situation is not hopeless. Far from it. There is hope, but that hope lies outside ourselves. As the big book says, we had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. In step two, we begin that search, an undertaking that will lead us through the remainder of the 12 steps. With us today to elaborate on step two and its instructions is Do Well, a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Do is dedicated to our 12-step way of life and is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, and it's with great appreciation and always a delight to welcome Do L to the line this morning. Welcome, Do. Thank you, Leah, for that lovely introduction, and I thank my God, my higher power, for this honor to be here, and I'm excited to be talking about Step 2 from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, you know, uh, I've been a compulsive overeater uh, for for a very long time, (laughs) and I'm coming on recovery for about four years um, from this disease, and I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for the experience of connecting to a power greater than myself. And I'm grateful for the instructions that were given to me to get to that path. And I'm hoping to convey that to you guys today. So now, if, you, if you're a glutton and a compulsive overeater like I am, you're probably thinking, well, I have this problem with uncontrollable eating and need a real solution to stay stopped. But where can I muster the strength and the determination, the resilience to do so? 
God knows I've tried everything with my own willpower to stop and have failed miserably over and over and over again. Not only that, but I've taken the steps several times. And guess what? I'm still overeating and in throes of my addiction. And then I hear so many different voices and messages on how to take the steps. So how do I know what's the right way in which I should go? And where, where can I get relief from this insidious malady? Are there real clear-cut directions? Well, if you've been in this place like I have, you'll be happy to know that they are clear-cut directions and a way out <clears throat> that's introduced in step two. Um, step two, as I was taught, has three chapters. There's a solution, more about alcoholism, and we agnostics. I was also taught that I can be confident that this is the order of step two. So where can I find this confidence that this is true? Well, the answer is right in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. In the preface, it reassures me that the big book, that the book, or this book, is a basic text. And on page 29, as quoted, will give clear-cut directions on how we recovered. <clears throat> so as you know, uh, with any basic text, it will center on a main topic and then develops that topic in logical coherent order through subjects that support the main topic. So let's ask ourselves, what is the main topic of the big book? Well, that's found on page 45, and we read, well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main objective, or we could say main topic, is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And once you have your main topic, then you develop that through subjects, <clears throat> which in our case are the 12 steps found on page 59. This is very similar to having, let's say, a basic text that deals with arithmetic. The main topic is math, and the subjects that develop the topic would be addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and so on. So let's take a minute and let's go to the table of contents in your big book on page five. So turn over five pages and you'll be there. And you will see the clear-cut order of the steps that develops the main topic of finding a power greater than yourself. And what's also unique about the big book, and we should keep in mind, is that it's designed to give you instructions, followed by examples, back to instructions, examples again, and so on. So looking now at the table contents, you will see 11 chapters, <clears throat> starting with doctor's opinion, which will be broken up to answer three questions. And the questions are, what is the problem? So we want to know that and where to find that. What is the solution? What are the chapters that cover what is the solution? And what are the chapters that cover how to get the solution? So what is the problem? What is the solution? And how to get the solution? So let's break it down. What is the problem? Well, we know the problem is lack of power. So we begin with chapter doctor's opinion which is the foundation of the big book because it explains the problem, which is the great nature of alcoholism, but in our case, it's compulsive overeating. Then it's followed by Bill's story. And Bill's story, um, which also is part of step one, gives you the example of how he takes step one 
in pages one through eight, followed by how he finds a great uh, power greater than himself and then implements the solution through the process of the 12 steps in pages eight through 16. So we can agree that step one would be the doctor's opinion and Bill's story. The next question that we want answer is, what is the solution? Well, we want, if we lack power, we want power. So if I lack power, then the logical solution would be, I need power. But where or where will I find that in the big book, that solution? Oh, let's look. It's right in front of me. It's right there in chapter two, entitled, There's a Solution. <laughs> so uh, There's a Solution uh, gives you a, a summary of what that solution is. And then followed by more about alcoholism, which explains why I haven't gotten the, the power due to my insanity with my stinking thinking. Then is followed by power, we agnostics. So we can agree that these three chapters all talk about how to get or attain power, which would be step two. And like in any textbook, we don't go from step two back to step one, then back to step two. That would not be coherent and progressive in supporting the subject. So it's logical, it, it, so it's logical like a math textbook to follow a building step-by-step -step the main topic through the subjects in an order that is coherent and building onto the next phase or development. Now let's look at the rest of this. Chapters five, how it works, are steps three and four. And to action would be steps um, five through 11, and then chapter seven, working with others is step 12. So there you have it, seven chapters giving you instructions, and then you have a couple of more chapters. Chapters eight through 11 are the examples of the implementation of all these steps into our daily living. So this should be a visual proof of the clear-cut directions of the steps taken in logical, coherent order through instructions and examples, right? So now we have secured our confidence and now we're ready to delve into the work, right? So first, before I, I can start to get access to power, I first need to know deep down in my heart, not the head knowledge, but from a gut level that I lack power, which means that I have no ability to control anything, especially my compulsive overeating. And let's assume that you've done all the work in step one, which includes knowing you have an allergy of the body and an obsession of mind. You've then identified those key food ingredients that are killing you, followed by developing a food plan that does not have your addictive substance in it. And then keep in mind that everyone can have a different food plan, but they must have entire absence from ingredients that they're addicted to. So let's say you've developed a food plan that consists of basic nutrition with proper amounts at proper times with no addictive substances in it. You've done all that work in step one, but you're still crazy just thinking about the food and can feel your emotions all over the place. You know absence is just the beginning, and now you start to feel the need for a real solution. How do you know you're ready to do step two? The answer is this, because step one, you admit it that you lack power or control of the food and you're powerless. And step one, if you are powerless and have admitted complete defeat, that would mean you're out of ideas, out of trying to control outcome, 
then logically you would be needing power and would be moving towards finding that power in step two. As I mentioned before, there are how many chapters did I say make up step two? If you guess three, you're correct. So since there is a lot of information, I'm going to cover the main points that make up <clears throat> that that made a big impact in my recovery. And we have and, and if we have time, we'll look at Bill's Bill W's example of step two. So um, we'll look at the instructions first, and then if we have time, we'll look at the example of Bill. Uh, <clears throat> and there's a solution. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have a little bit of asthma, so I'm coughing because of that. Um, it says, uh, and there's a solution. The first thing that was brought to my attention is that I'm not the solution. But on page 25, if we look there, I was given hope and introduced to the solution. So let's read where that solution is here in the middle of the page. It says, the great fact is, and nothing less, that we have had a deep and effective spiritual experience, which has revolutionized <clears throat> our whole attitude toward life, towards our fellows, and towards God's universe. And here's where I want you to pay close attention. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things in us which we could never do for ourselves. So like I said, three chapters for step two. So I'll condense it to six points, okay? So point one, <clears throat> I was told that in order to have a deep and effective spiritual experience that God would have to enter into my heart just like he got, God entered into Bill's heart. And that meant I would have to take step two at a gut level and nothing less would suffice because if I did not take it to my heart, I will continue to compulsively overeat and die. How do I know that? Because the next paragraph says, if you are as seriously alcoholic as we are, we believe there's no middle of the road. So uh, it says we, eat, we were in a position where life was becoming impossible. And if we had passed into the region which there was no return through human aid, we had two alternatives. Now, it didn't say three alternatives. It said two alternatives. And the two alternatives is this one. One was to go to the bitter end, <clears throat> blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best as we could. Or the other one was to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly want it and we're willing to make the effort. So, you know, when we have this choice, it's either I go, you know, doing the same things that I always done, going on my own power, going on my own will, going on my own ideas, and le that lead me always to destruction. Um, how do I know that? <laughs> my first step history shows that, right? Uh, becoming close to 300 pounds, constantly. Um, Obsessing over food, obsessing over my weight, obsessing over other things, and, you know, not being able to put the food down. Um, so, or I could accept spiritual help, which was a big problem for me because I never wanted to accept spiritual help. I wanted to continue to come into this program and get a diet and then, and then just, like, do whatever I wanted to do with the steps. That didn't work. 
So here is just telling me that something has to change, right? <clears throat> At this point, I went to God in prayer and I asked, what's the difference between taking the steps in your mind versus your heart? And God said to me, do, I can't enter into your mind because as I will remind you on page 23, that you have fallacious reasoning, a crazy, senseless, unsound, illogical, false, untruthful thinking. I cannot reside there. There you practice self-deception and experimentation. I am truth, light, honesty, and all good things, and I cannot reside in the lies and darkness. However, I can reside in your heart. Because the heart is a seat of motivation and it's where your desire is and I can propel you towards your desire. God said to me, think about being in a car and the stick shift is your desire, which has three levers. The neutral is where you have no desire to move anywhere. You just stay stuck there. The next lever is the reverse, where you just move towards disease of compulsive eating and go backwards on your recovery. And finally, there's the drive forward lever, which is the desire to recover. I, God, am the gas pedal that when aligned with your desire will move you in that direction. I have given you free will and I will not impede on your desire. So taking the steps at a gut level is aligning myself with God to be propelled with his strength not my own, to move toward the desired goal of recovery. I was told that there's a solution is just an introduction to see how others have established a relationship with God and how I can have the same thing. So how would I know that I was having the initial effects of step two? Um, there's got to be a marker somewhere, right, to, that tells you that you're kind of like having this effect with step two. Well, page 27, it tells me that the effect would be a revolutionary change, um, a spiritual experience that would be considered like a phenomenon that would appear in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements of ideas, emotions, attitudes that were once the guiding force of your life. And they were suddenly cast to one side in a new, completely set of motives beginning to dominate them. So in other words, just to keep it simple, it tells me that my ideas, my emotions, and my attitudes would change as I got connected to a higher power. That's as simple as it is. I get to change. <laughs> How wonderful is that? Never happened before. Okay. So <clears throat> if that's the case, that I get to change, um, <coughs> sorry. And more about alcoholism is another chapter where I learn even more painful things about myself and my compulsive overeating. The main points that I learned in this chapter was that no matter how much I try to control, it always turned into vain, countless attempts to prove that I was a compulsive overeater through self-deception, meaning I wasn't fooling anyone else but myself and trying to convince myself through experimentations of the food that I was going to be a normal eater. Well, that never happened. It would never happen unless I found a power greater than my own efforts. 
right? It amazes me how the big book is so crafty and skillful in building me up and there's a solution with hope, right? And it tears me down and my ego and more about alcoholism. And it brings me back up and we agnostics by telling me the solution and how to get the solution. And here in We Agnostics, we're accessing the power, right? So let me take you through what I learned in how to access this power. So let's now go to page 44. And there I'm reminded that prior to accessing this power greater than myself, that I was constantly obsessed with vain, countless attempts at controlling my food and everything else around me. So pages now, pages 17 all the way to page 45 have helped me to conclude that I have no power, that I am not the power, and I lack power. So where can I get power? And what are the instructions to get there, right? So I'm going to show you thinking about that now. And so we go to the middle of, um, when we go to uh, page 45, it says lack of power was our dilemma. And so this book helps us to, uh, find that power greater than ourselves, right? That's the whole main object of this book is to find a power greater than ourselves, which will solve our problems. However, in the middle of page 45, it says that here difficulty arises with the agnostic. And an agnostic is not, let's not forget, it's not an atheist who disbelieves or lacks belief in the existence of God, which we will use the acronym of good orderly direction for God as to understand this better. Okay. So you don't have to get tripped up about the word God. If you have a problem with God, um, because you can consider it good orderly direction. That was my first understanding of God in this program. So, but what is an agnostic versus an atheist? An agnostic on the other hand is someone who uh, believes that nothing is known or can be known of the existence or nature of God or anything beyond material phenomena is a person who claims neither faith nor disbelief in God. So let's put that in plain terms, right? What is an agnostic? An agnostic is a person that does not know or have knowledge of a power greater than themselves or may have a power greater than themselves, but does not know how to access that power, okay? So that's what we're dealing with in this chapter, right, in agnostic. So step, uh, step two at this point starts to introduce that power by empathizing with our disbelief, doubt, and prejudice, right? So if you go to <clears throat> the bottom of uh, the paragraph there on page 45, I was told to start looking at the old ideas and disbelief and, and belief system that I borrowed from others that were not my own. Um, so here it says, we know how he feels. We share his honest doubt and prejudice. Some of us have been violently anti-religious. To others, the word God brought up a particular idea of him, which uh, someone tried to impress on them from childhood. Perhaps we rejected the particular conception because it seemed inadequate. With the rejection, we imagined we had abandoned the God idea entirely. We were bothered with the thought of faith and dependence upon a power beyond ourselves was somewhat weak and even cowardly. We looked <clears throat> upon this world of warring individuals, warring theological systems, and inexplicable calamity with skepticism. 
we're going to stop there. Um, so here, I, I, again, I was told to look at these old ideas in my belief system that I had borrowed from someone else. And I, I didn't think I did, but, you know, come to find out, um, you know, I was told that I couldn't have the God of my parents, the God of religion, the God of self-knowledge. And for me, not having no God because of initially being an atheist and rejecting the idea of God. So all of these ideas, I had to take them and I had to examine them just like Bill did in his story, right? He had the God of his grandfather. He had the God of war. He had the God of religion. Um, he had the God of self-knowledge, right? And he had to look at those vestiges and those old ideas and discard them. And that's what I had to do in this first point, right? That, and that was revolutionary for me because the reason I couldn't move to a higher power was because I was holding on to everyone else's God and or not having a God, right? So page 46 now encourages me. We found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice, right? So I have to lay aside the prejudice. I cannot move to being willing to express what <laughs> a belief in a power greater than myself if I'm holding somebody else's God, if I'm holding somebody else's conception of God, right? So it says, lay aside your prejudice, let go of those things and move towards what? To express a belief in a power greater than yourself. And it says, we commenced to get results, even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. So point number three on page 47, I was told to come up with my own conception, right, of God, and was encouraged to take out a piece of paper and write my own conception of a power greater than myself. So going back to page 46, the big book also encourages me that our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make that approach and to affect a contact with him. So I looked at this and I, and I wanted a God that would give me results, right? So when I read that passage about, you know, um, we found a God and laying aside prejudice and uh, willing to get connected, we commenced to get results. So that's where I got the idea of, you know, getting a God that would be the God of results, right? Since my prior conception of God was always the God of my parents or the rejection of God altogether, or sometimes it was the God of religion, depending on my flair for the day, because my thoughts fluctuated <laughs> with my conception. So my conception at this point, when I wrote it down, became the God of results. And I was encouraged not to try to figure out God, right? And know everything about God in order to take, to take this step. Um, you know, because my crazy thinking, uh, my, my stinking thinking will always lead me to try to over-evaluate things, right? So not to put God in a box, because if I knew everything about God, then he would not be greater than I am. I did not need to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. Why? Because if I got close to God, God in turn will reveal himself to me. And I tell you what a relief that was for me because it took the mental obsession out of the equation in trying to get results through self-will and figuring out, you know, a power that would work, 
I mean, I didn't have to figure that out. I just had to move towards that power. Um, it was simple and effective. And what the big book promises in this paragraph is that as soon as I lay aside prejudice, express a willingness to believe, I commence to get results. Wow, that's exactly what I was looking for. Results with my compulsive overeating. Results with overcoming the mental obsession. Results with my emotional nature. Results with my relationships. Then why not a God of results, right? That was my beginning. And, well, it didn't stop there because in point four, then I was told on page 47 that we needed to ask ourselves but one short question which is the step two question. Do I now believe or am I willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? The reason I never took this step profoundly was because I believed that it was enough just to believe in God or to be into religion, but not into relationship with, a, with this power. <clears throat> so the question does not ask me to believe in God, if you notice there, but in the power of God. How do I know that? Well, let's quickly go to page 13 on the bottom of the page. And it reads there from Bill's story. My friend promised when these things were done, I would have the elements of a way of living which answer all my problems. Not just my food problems, but all my problems. Belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. It doesn't say to believe in God. <clears throat> it says believe in what? The power of God. Plus means in addition to this belief, these other qualities, willingness, honesty, and humility would help me to establish and maintain that relationship. Amazing. That's what was missing was the belief in the power of God. If I don't believe that the higher power has the power, then I will be doomed. That reminds me of being like a fan, right? Uh, I'm the fan that when unplugged from the outlet will run on self-propulsion, but eventually will come to a stop with my own limited power. Then I take the outlet cover, my self-will, and block the unlimited power coming from the outlet, which represents God. It's not until I realize how dead and powerless I am in need of a power that will move me to take the outlet cover, which represents my self-will and surrender it so that I can plug into the power. I can plug in the power cord, which represents the 12 steps into the outlet, which represents God or higher power and access the electricity, which represents his unlimited power to flow through me so that I can run efficiently. And that's how I see, you know, when I am in self-propulsion versus God propulsion. Um, on page 49, uh, we go there and I'm reminded a second time that if we who travel this dubious path beg you to lay aside prejudice, even against organized religion. So what does that mean? Well, I'll give you a, a personal example of that. Um, and this has nothing to do with religion, but it has to do with the different types of faith that we have, right? So I tell this to whom all I encounter all the time, that God has performed a miracle in my life. He's given me a sponsor that does not share my faith, 
but is someone who has brought me to God with these instructions. It amazes me how we can be so different and yet respect, learn, and grow with each other's faith by practicing this paragraph where it says on page 49, part of it says, spiritually minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness, which we should also have sought ourselves. I found that in my sponsor, and um, I found that in my sponsor, and I strive to have the same, same in my life, right? What, what was I trying to have? Not her conception of a power greater than herself, but what resulted from that power greater than ourselves, which was the stability, happiness, and usefulness. That's what I aspired for. Um, I had to fully concede in my heart and not my mind what I saw on page 52, where it continues and it says, when we saw others solve their problems by the simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. But how do I stop doubting? Let's look at page 53. When we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, in other words, I bring calamity upon myself by living on self-woven riot and doubting on a power that can actually help me. <laughs> My life of doubting has only brought me the uh, bedevilments found on page 52, which when we read it, I'll add some clauses, right? <clears throat> so here we go. Page 52, it says, we had to ask ourselves why we should apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. Point of view? What, what is that point of view? To access unlimited power, Right. Uh, we were having trouble with our personal relationships. With what? With limited power. We couldn't control the emotional natures with limited power. We were prey to misery and depression with limited power. We couldn't make a living with limited power. We had a feeling of uselessness with limited power. We were full of fear with limited power. We were unhappy with limited power. We couldn't even seem to be of real help to other people with limited power. Was not a basic solution of what? Unlimited power of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see news reels of lunar flight. Of course it was. And I saw very clearly in point five, we could not if, if you go to uh, the next page on page uh, 55, <clears throat> I'm sorry, <clears throat> is it page 50? No, page 53, sorry. Uh, page 53, if you go there, you're going to see that we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? And the answer has been no. He he isn't up, up to this point anything to me, right? God isn't since I've never cared to go through the 12 steps, cared to be connected with this unlimited power. And I have always insisted on my own limited power with my own ideas of my foods, my spirituality, if I even care to have it, and my actions, which have always led me back to the food, Right. I mean, we could see that also from the bedevilments, right? That I've always chosen 
anything but that unlimited power. And so I lived that life of unmanageability. I lived that life of, you know, chaos, collision, confusion, and, and just all sorts of different things that will always bring me to doomsday. Um, so here in point five, here I was asked to take out a piece of paper and write down the second step proposition, which asks three questions going across the page. So these three questions are not going down. They're going across the page. And the questions are, what am I unwilling to give to God? Why am I unwilling to give it to God? And what would God have me be? So I would take this uh, like an inventory and write going down for the first question, all the things that I was unwilling to give to God. Is it the food? Is it my old ideas of God? Is it my willingness to believe in something greater than myself? Then writing going down. Why am I unwilling to give them to God? Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it self-will? What else is it, right? And what would God have me be? The answer to this question will always be freedom from bondage and to be more like God, right? So going back um, now to page 55, it says, actually, we were fooling ourselves for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God but it may be obscured, or in other words, hidden by calamity. Just like what we just talked about, the bedevilments, right? The, the broken relationships, the, you know, the job loss, the, you know, not being able to get along with others, the fears, the anxiety, the worry, the, and, and the list goes on and on and on, right? So by pomp, it says, or our pride, or prejudice, our self-will, our not letting go of old ideas is part of that pomp. By worship of other things, like the food, alcohol, addictions of other things, right? The list can go on there too. But in some form or other, it is there. Some of us, or most of us, right? God or this higher power can be found in the concepts of the four absolutes. Absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, absolute love. Page 55 continues, for faith in a power greater than ourselves and the miraculous demonstrations of that power in our lives are as facts as old as man himself. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was part of our makeup. So we can all agree that there is power, right, in love, honesty, purity, and unselfishness. When we connect to these virtues, we don't see them physically in some form, right? But abstractly, we can see and feel and experience the effects of these qualities. This is a power greater than myself. So, you know, if, if you're looking for that good orderly direction, right, the acronym of God, um, and you're looking for uh, your own conception, it doesn't have to be a religious conception. It doesn't have to be you know, a, a conception that you formulate in your mind, say, I can't get this. This program is open to everyone, right? Like everybody can get their own conception. And I think most of us, mankind in general, all over the world can agree that love is powerful. I don't see it, but I feel the effects of it. <laughs> I don't, I don't see kindness, but I feel the effects of kindness when people display that. I can feel, you know, honesty when somebody tells me the truth and I can look them in the eye and see their eyes being bright and telling me the truth. 
or when they're hiding and their eyes get dark, right? I can see the effects of these, of these qualities. So if you're looking for a conception of your own and you think that it has to come from an old conception of a God that didn't click with you, then this is a way to find a conception that would be agreeable, you know, I, I think to all humankind, because it's something that we practice all the time, whether we know it or not. And then finally, I'm reminded the third time on page 55 to sweep away the prejudice. We were just talking about that, right? Sweep away those prejudices, get rid of those old ideas of God and come up with your own conception of a power greater than yourself, which enables you to think honestly, right? So it says to sweep away prejudice, which enables you to think honestly, encourage you to search diligently within yourself, then join us on the broad highway. With this attitude, you cannot fail. That's, that's a big book promise. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you, which is a promise from the big book, right? No longer is food, a diet, or weight the most important thing in my life. But page 51 reminds us that when many hundreds of us or hundreds of people are able to say the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. That was very powerful for me because, you know, I, I remember <laughs> I used to come into meetings and they used to say, abstinence is the most important thing in my life today. And I was like, mm, I wasn't feeling that, right? Because I was like, it's got to be more than abstinence. It's got to be more than food, right? That can't be my whole life that I'm just constantly obsessing over. It has to be something more. And so I'm glad that when this book brought me to a power greater than myself, that became the most important thing the presence, the consciousness of this power in my life, this God in my life was the most important. And it still is the most important thing in my life today. And I can demonstrate that faith, that confidence in that power, because faith is not just, you know, things that you can't see and, and um, believe in. Is, is a demonstration to God that, God, I believe that you have power. I'm going to demonstrate that, you know, in my life that, that I believe that you have that power, right? Because I'm going to believe that when I pray and I ask and I get connected to God, that God is going to return to me that empowering thought level that brings me to this consciousness with him to get in alignment with him to do the things that he's asking me to do, right? Um, and then I'll be prepared in my heart to not ask God for things, but to ask God what I can do for him instead of asking what he can do for me. And that's the difference between this power is that today I ask God, how do you want me to be God? What is it that you want me to align myself with you to do your will? Is it to help someone in the neighborhood? Is it to help a 12-step, you know, um, a sponsee, you know, like to, to get the steps? Is it, you know, to bring uh, food to the homeless and to the needy? I mean, my life encompasses just more than just, you know, thinking about I need to get abstinent, I need to stay abstinent, and that's the most important thing in my life. No, it's evolved to something more profound. 
And so that leads me to point six, where in page 57, it closes with this. It says, when we drew near to God or to him, he disclosed himself to us. So God or this power greater than ourselves is always constant and central, but we're the ones who move away from God. So we need to move to the center where God can and always will be found. So that's where God is in the center. So let's review the six points to accessing power or power greater than yourself and Bill's example of step two, right? Uh, the steps were developed out of the first 100 people, and one of those people was Bill W., co our co-founder. So let's see how step two was developed out of Bill's experience and example. We'll see if the instructions are in Bill's experience, right? So also keep in mind that Bill took step one in uh, page eight, where it begins, no words can tell the loneliness and despair, right? Um, I'm sorry. I thought I had it here. <clears throat> My book is, um, you know, one of those books that is tore up from the floor, wrecked up from the neck up because it's been overly used. <laughs> so here we go. No words can tell the loneliness and despair I found in the bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksands stretch all around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol had become my master. That was Bill uh, taking step one in a very profound way where he makes the admission of powerlessness and unmanageability, right? So in order for Bill to go and move to these uh, step two, he had to take step one. So we can see that, yes, he did take step one. Now, we, uh, before we move on to the six points we're, that we're about to review, we're going to see how Bill now takes step two and how these instructions were developed out of this experience, right? Because it, the steps didn't come and then Bill took the steps. It, Bill came out of experience, out of bitter experience and developed the 12 steps. So let's keep that in mind. So point one, um, God must enter in. Uh, enter your heart at a gut level. Well, let's see if Bill took that experience. Bill's experience on page 26 says that God entered his heart. So if you go to page 26, um, what does it say there? Uh, Bill says that the central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. So did he cover point one? Yes, he did. He took step one at a heart gut level. All right, let's look at point two. Remove prejudice and vestiges of someone else's God or higher power. So let's look at Bill's experience from page 10 to part of page 12, right? This, uh, um, this goes to show that Bill struggled with old vestiges of the God of his grandfather, the God of religion, the God of war, and the God of reason. How do we know that? Well, let's look at some of these um, ideas that he had, right, of his old vestiges. So um, we see on page 10 that he talked to Ebby for hours, hours of his hopelessness. His childhood memories rose before him of him going to uh, the Sunday school with his grandfather and talking about, you know, the temperance pledge and looking at all the church 
folks and their doings and the fears that had their music, but the denial of the preacher's right to tell him how to, he must listen, right? So that was the prejudice of the God of his, his grandfather. Then we have, you know, where he talks about um, the wars um, that were fought and the burning and the chicanery and the religious disputes that had facilitated him to make him sick and uh, judging, you know, the God in human affairs. So this is showing that he had what? The prejudice of a God of war, a God of religion, right? And then we have the God of knowledge, right? Where he, um, he says that the icy intellect of his, um, that was melted away. So it goes to show that he had all these vestiges and all these prejudices that he had to set aside in order to come to this belief in a power greater than himself. So point three, come up with your own conception of a power greater than yourself. Let's see if Bill's experience shows that he developed this step too. Um, Bill's experience on page 12 does show that he did come up with his own conception that was no longer an abstract God, but a personal God to Bill. How do we know that, right? Because he talks about that he humbled himself um, to have him with me and he came, right? Uh, but as soon as he sensed his presence, then it was blotted out by the worldly clamors and, and most of it, those within himself. But he talks about the fact that when he needed God and wanted God, there he found God, right? Uh, there had been a humbling willingness to have him with me, and he came. And that's found at the bottom of page 12. So, yes, he did take this. And then it says, why don't you choose your own conception of God? And what he chose as his own conception was a personal God, right? Um, prior to that, you know, uh, he revolted at a personal God. Um, if you go to page 10, he says, a God personal to me who was loving superhuman strength and direction. I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. And yet you come back to page 12 and now he's saying the statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellect in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. And it was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required to make my beginning. So here we see that Bill comes up with his own conception of a power greater than himself. So that covers point number three. Now, point number four, the step two question, do I now believe or am I willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? Again, Bill experiences shows on page 12 that it was only a matter of being willing to believe in that power greater than himself and nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. So did he take the step two question and answer that? Yes, he did. Okay, let's go to point 5A. The God proposition, and this is, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? Bill's experience was that when he let God be his choice, the result was in his words on bottom of page 12. Bill said, at long last, I felt 
I believe scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes. A new world came into view. So prior to that, God was nothing to Bill. But now he chooses God to be everything in his life. And he comes into this new world view of freedom from bondage. Point 5B, the second step proposition. Let's see if Bill takes that too. <laughs> um, the three questions. When am I unwilling to give to God? Why am I unwilling to give it to God? And what would God have me be? So Bill's experience on page bottom of page 12, it says, I saw growth could start at that point. Upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my friend. Would I have it? Of course I would. So he's just done that where he surrendered completely to God, all that he's unwilling to give to God, why he's unwilling to give it to God, and now he's letting God let uh, be his best friend and build with him what he should be. Amazing. Amazing. It amazes me how this all connects together. And last, we're going to cover point six. When we drew near him, he disclosed himself to us. So Bill's experience on bottom of page 12, it says, thus was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. You see how he wants to draw close to God and God in turn is drawn close to Bill. So he's taking the six points of step two. Okay. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is a treasure trove of instructions and examples to help us connect to a power greater than ourselves that will enable us to break free from bondages that keep us in addiction to food and enslave us to our shortcomings and defects. So I'm confident that if you follow these instructions, that you too will find a power greater than yourself needed to live a life free from bondage, from the food, and will be given the power of ego reduction through the rest of the steps. God will give a life beyond your wildest dreams because you will enjoy a personal, intimate, loving relationship with a power that will guide you, enable you with strength, give you plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future as you trudge the road of happy destiny. I know it happened for me and it can happen for you. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Du, for this beautiful presentation this morning. Incredibly thorough and instructive presentation it was. Thank you so very, very much. The share ID for this morning's presentation, 16,403. That's 16403. Du's Contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Stacy T. Stacy T. Margaret D. Margaret. Marcy, R-S-E. Marcy. Star one to unmute.
Okay, let's start with this group, beginning with Stacy T. Good morning. This is Stacy T calling from Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you so very much for a, such a thorough presentation, dude. Thanks. Thanks, thanks. Uh, so my question to you is, um, well, first the comment is, I, I believe I'm agnostic, and I do access power, um, and then things get unplugged, and then I practice, and they get plugged in again. So can you share what it was like or is like um, when you don't feel that connection and some of what you do to get uh, plugged in to have that full uh, full experience. Thanks a lot. Well, I, I have a question for you. Um, what step are you on? Thanks, Jim. Sorry, I'm back on step one. You're back on step one. Okay. So, yeah, um, I I can't get unplugged if um, if I'm not following the process, right? And we talked about the process. There's a process to getting plugged in. And the first process is I have to take step one. If I don't take step one and I think I still have the power to be in those foods and be thinking the way I do and taking back my will, I'm not going to want to move to a power greater than myself because I still think I have the control and I still think I have the power to do things. And I stay stuck a long time because I was unwilling to follow directions. This program is so simple. People that follow directions, God will enable them to do it. Now, you don't have to have a power greater than yourself initially to know that God's got your back. I remember coming into a 12-step program and, um, and I said, I need to get God. I need to come in here and I need to get God because that's the solution. That's what everybody talks about. And one of, <laughs> one of the 12-step persons says, you know what? You're so arrogant. And I was floored when she said that to me. Arrogant. Um, she says, yeah, because God got you way before you even were born. You know, he developed this 12-step program in 1934, and he got this program ready for you, and he got you way before you even thought about God. So the fact that you got to get God and you need God and you think you're going to orchestrate God is arrogance. So let God continue to move towards you. You take the steps. You do your part, and God will do the rest. And that was my answer. My answer is, I don't have to do anything. I just have to follow directions. If my problem is that I keep compulsively eating, and I need to surrender that, right? God will enable me. When I follow the instructions of letting go of key food ingredients, of Letting, uh, practicing entire abstinence of looking at step one thoroughly and taking it at a gut level, then I will feel the defeatedness of that. And then that will propel me to move towards that power. But it's not until then that I'm going to get connected. Because I tell you, I've been in this program for a very long time, 2009, and I only have four years. 
So what happened, right? I got to ask myself that. What happened that I couldn't get this? It's because I wouldn't let go. And this whole program is about surrender. I hope that's helpful. Thank you, Stacy T. Margaret D. Um, hey, good morning, everybody. Um, do thank you so much for this. Uh, I will definitely be listening to it over and over again. Um, and also, thanks for bearing through um, with the asthma. And, and <laughs> oops, sorry. Um, so my question is: Can you? Uh, Talk a little bit more about um, the fifth point. Okay. Um, so like what part of the fifth point would you like to know? Because it's in two parts. It's 5A. The 5B. 5B. Okay. So, yeah. So um, this second step proposition is kind of like a small inventory to see where you are with your higher power. And one of the things that I was told in the second step proposition is, you know, look at all the things that you're not willing, you know, the old ideas that you're holding on to, to not move towards God, right? So if you believe that there, there is a power greater than yourself, and this power is going to relieve you from this insidious malady, then why am I not willing to give things to this power greater than myself? And a lot of times when I look at these three questions, the reason it could be pride, it could be fear, it could be anger, it could be like different things that I'm holding on to that I'm not willing to let go of because they serve me some kind of way, right? If I'm anger, I'm going to go to the food. If I'm living in fear, I'm going to go to the food. So if I want to be in disease mode, guess what? That's going to be the perfect excuse for me not to let go of. <laughs> you know, because what would God have me be? God would have me be healthy. God would have me be abstinent. God would have me um, connecting on a deeper level so that I could propel through these steps quickly and get to the other side, which is to be of service to God to myself and to others, but I can't do that, right, if I'm still stuck with holding on to things in this step, right? So uh, I, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's, I mean, those are simple questions that can really get to the root of your heart and see where you're at. Awesome. Thank you, Du. Thanks, Margaret D. Marcy, star one to unmute. Uh, yes, thank you for your share. I've learned a lot. You know, I've been in this program since 1994, so I've been here. Relapsed and came back in 2015. I've never gotten clean for my sugar foods, and I'm on day 21 today for your sugar, flour, and nicotine. But I don't feel recovered. My sponsor has me working four pages out of the big book a day because the weekend's off. And you know, I don't feel like I gave up control to my high power. I'm still trying to control everything, everyone around me, and try to control myself and surrender. What we'll call it, you know, I'm full of rage and anger, and I'm not working my program. Marcy, might you have a question for Do? I was wondering what the what the sixth 
what a six point was, please. But I need help because my sponsors has he working a program. I'm still trying to control everything. I ain't surrender. I I'm trying to work those tests. I ain't surrender. Thank you, Marcy. Thank you for your question regarding Thank the you. six point. So Marcy, I, I know it's a struggle. I mean, I struggle too. I'm a compulsive eater. I can relate to your struggle of uh, wanting to get this and not getting it. But, you know, um, you say I have to work the program. Um, Working the program is, you know, taking it at a heart level, gut level, right? It's it's really looking at, like, these steps from a different angle, right? It's not, I'm going to work it. I'm going to do it. I'm, 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 I'm. You see, that's already the mistake. Because you're trying to do it on your willpower to get abstinent, to work the steps, to do the things. And this is telling you the very opposite. It's saying, let go, let go. So what are you doing? Step one, what are you letting go of? You're letting go of the food, right? Look at those key food ingredients, right? And then once you let go of that, then now you're ready to move to something greater than yourself. And then in step two, what are you letting go of? You're letting go of the old conceptions of somebody else's God that worked for them, right? Um, versus working for you. And you have to come to your own own conception of that power greater than yourself. In step three, what are you letting go of? You're letting go of your actions, your behaviors, your ideas, and recommitting your commitment to God to go through the rest of the steps. In step four, what are you letting go of? You're letting go of your character defects. Step five, you're letting go up to God, to another person, and to yourself, your whole story. In step six, what are you letting go of? You're letting go of your character defects. Again, step seven, what are you letting go of? You're letting go of how God should shape and mold you into the person that you ought to be. In step eight, what are you letting go of? Your willfulness not to make the amends. In step nine, what are you letting go of? You're letting go of, you know, going out there and making those amends, right? Um, step 10, you're doing it all over again. You're letting go of your character defects. Step 11, you're letting go of your self-will so, so that you can improve your conscious contact with God. And then step 12, you're letting go of, right, your, your ego again to go and self, uh, help others. So this whole program, if I could summarize it in one word, is about surrender. It's not about working, right? Because Working, yes, we do take actions, but God is the one that enables us to do that. Um, as long as you have that mindset of, I need to do this, there's no room for higher power to enter your life. You know, so work with your sponsor. Um, really look deep down inside of you and ask yourself, what is it? What are the reservations and lurking notions that I'm not willing to let go of so that I can stay in this food. Because when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired because the pain motivates you to stop, that's when you'll know you'll be able to take these steps. None unto them. And I can't give you an easier answer than that because that's not been my experience. I didn't come into this program. I followed directions and I got it. I had pain was the greatest motivator to effectuate this change in this compulsive eater. And maybe that's what you have to go through. And unfortunately, I don't have an easier, softer answer for you. And, with it, you know, I hope that's helpful. Thanks, Marcy. 
Who else has a question this morning? Star one to unmute. Kathy K. Hi, Leah. Hi, Kathy. Ellen C. Ellen C. Loretta H. Loretta H. Andrea S. Andrea S. Yeah, did we lose you? Andrea S. Yes, Andrea S. Thank you. Thus far, I have Kathy K., Ellen C., Loretta H., Andrea S. Let's go with that for right now. Beginning with Kathy K., please. Thank you, Leah, for all of your service. And thank you, Duel. It was wonderful to hear you today. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us what you do on a daily basis to maintain your connection with your guide. Are there daily disciplines that you make sure you do every day? Sure. Um, So as a recover person now, I live in 10, 11, and 12, which means that I take a daily inventory. Um, I do my prayers and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God. I also go outside that realm and um, I connect with an organized religion, which um, I practice uh, other spiritual practice to keep me connected with my higher power and to improve that conscious contact with God. And I also do a lot of service. You know, um, I do a lot of service in 12-step program. um, And I, you know, I do what I'm doing now, uh, speaking engagements. Um, I also sponsor. um, And I do the everyday things. But what's recently come up for me, um, which I'm working with my sponsor, um, is I've gone through the 12 steps and now she's taken me back to the four absolutes with two additional principles of uh, humility and, um, and on, um, I'm sorry, uh, what is it? Humility and willingness. So that with the four absolutes, I'm doing uh, inventory for 72 days. um, And that's uh, been really amazing uh, journey uh, because it's showing me where I need to improve my conscious contact with God. And it's just a, an amazing way of doing these steps again, um, because it's showing me how the first 100 men and women had penned out of their own experience these 12 steps. And that was what they used initially. And so it's taking me to a deeper level. Uh, later on, I'm hoping to do a pre, uh, relapse prevention with her and going through the 12 steps and 12 traditions from the AA um, literature. So, um, yeah, so I'm doing all of this extra work, uh, looking at the history of AA, uh, getting familiarized with that. I, I do a lot of practices throughout the day that... Um, encompass the 12 steps, but it goes beyond the 12 steps, if, if, if that makes sense. And that's what keeps me afloat and very connected with my higher power. 
Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. for the question. Thank you. Ellen C. Star one to unmute, Ellen. Thank you. Good morning. Ellen C., grateful, compulsive overeater. Leah, thank you for your service. Do thank you so, so very much. Uh, best way to get to my heart is through my head, and this was so logical and so great. Um, so I absolutely believe in a power greater than myself. My question is, when I pray and ask God, um, to bring me into alignment and what can I do for you, God? Um, I get confused when I'm asking God, what do you want me to be? But when I get confused about whether it's for me, whether it's for others, um, I have asked God and have gotten God's help four times to save my son's life. God has answered my prayers over decades but I could not see at the time, and sometimes now can't see, whether it's for me, whether it's for others. So my question is, do you ever get that, and how do you unravel that at the time? And is it okay for us to ask for ourselves, even if we can't see the bigger picture at the time? Well, I'll take you where um, in the big book it says that we only ask for ourselves only, <laughs> right? That's, uh, I think that's in uh, step 10 or 11, where it says that we can use prayers to ask for ourselves only if it's going to help someone else, right? So we don't ask selfishly, I want to get rich with a million bucks, or we don't ask those types of prayers because, you know, then that's me trying to run the show and tell God how he should do his job. Um, but, you know, it's about just, um, you know, praying in a way where it's going to help you to become a better person, to be of greatest service to God. So one of the things that um, I was taught in um, early recovery uh, it actually in more about alcoholism was that there are three voices, right? So there's God's voice, there's the disease voice, and there's the self voice. And how can I differentiate the three voices, right? Uh, when I'm praying and when I'm asking. Um, and so this is what I was told. Um, God's voice will be better than anything that I could have ever thought of, right? So one of the ways is that I don't get results like, you know, for myself, um, uh, you know, I let go of outcome. Um, I'm not trying to control the situation or trying to play God, right? Um, I'm in total surrender and humility to God. Um, I'm giving my, my praise, my glory and um, honor that he deserves and what I think I deserve. Um, and then how do I know that it's God's voice? Because I see God coming through me with great joy, peace, and serenity, right? So that's how I know that it's God's voice. And when I pray to God, when he's answering my prayers, is because he's helping me to be more like him. How do I know it's the, the disease voice? Because the disease voice will try to, you know, it comes to steal kill and destroy. It comes to steal your joy. It comes to steal your peace. It comes to steal your happiness. It comes to destroy your relationships with God, with yourself, 
and with others, and it wants to kill you spiritually and physically dead, okay? And how do I know that uh, I'm in the South voice? Well, the should-haves, could-haves, and would-haves, what I could do, what I should do, what I would do, you know, and, and what I think I should do, right? So could-have, you know, what, what could I do? <laughs> so anything that goes into the eyes, into the me, into the self is all part of the self voice. So I have to be um, very careful um, of that because when you get in alignment with God, um, in in the in the uh, ten and eleven steps, it says that what used to be uh, an occasional hunch or inspiration uh, over time becomes a working part of this experience with God. So initially, in step two, I don't expect you to have a spiritual experience um, because it's going to take you another ten steps to have that experience, or another eight steps, right? to get to that experience. But once you have that experience, then you start to evolve that experience where you get so connected with God, where the message and the channel of that channel is, you know, initially it starts sounding staticky, like a radio that's very staticky. But when you tune in the channel to a clear channel and you get that antenna and that reception and clear reception, uh, where you could hear things, you could see things very clearly. That's how God tunes in with you. And it's a practice because some days I'm going to, I'm going to be off my channel and then other days I'm going to be very tuned in with God. And, and so, um, I would say just don't worry about it too much because with God is always a fluctuation. But the point is, is to try to improve every day that conscious contact with God continue to do that, that work with God. Um, and there's so many ways to do that. If you're in step one is to get abstinent. Um, if you're in step two is trying to connect and make, you know, come up with your own conception of a power greater than yourself in your step three and so on and so on, you're going to be where you're at in that step, but you're trying to do the very best to get connected with what God would have you be versus what you're telling God you should want. Um, you know, when I pray for a loved one that I think they're sick, I, I don't tell God, well, God, please save my son. Please do this. And, and I think in some ways I do. I, you know, I pray that my son will have his soul saved. I don't know. But I say, if it's your will, God, if it's your will, because I have to be in acceptance. What if it's not God's will for my son to be saved? You know, what do I do then? Am I going to get angry with God because he didn't save my son or he didn't do anything to help me with my illness or help me with certain things? Maybe that's not God's will. Maybe that's not intertwined to his divine will. So, you know, when I ask, I got to be very careful what I'm asking for and how I'm asking for it, because I always have to have to believe that God has a better plan and my plans are not as high as his. So I don't always know. And I have to let go of the outcome. So I hope that's helpful. Very, thank you. Thanks, Ellen. Loretta H., your turn with a question. Good morning, Leah, and good morning, Do. Your share was amazing and graceful. Oh, my God. But somebody already asked the question of what you do every day to keep this amazing grace. And so I got the answer. I would like to ask if later, because I know it would be 
too long. If you will share your process with the four absolutes and how you're working through that um, in your study. So I'll take your number if you would share that later. Thank you. Okay, thank you. And Andrea S. Star one to unmute. Good morning, everybody. My name is Andrea, compulsive overeater, anorexic, bulimic from Michigan. And thank you, Do, for your share. Oh my goodness, I wish, I wish I had a record button. I'm definitely going to try to find out how I can listen to this again. Um, my question for you. I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous for 21 years. So I've been through the big book so, so many times. I've done so many four steps and whatnot. And, you know, my alcohol and addiction problem is arrested by the grace of God. Um, I consider myself a, a strong Christian woman. I have a very strong faith. I spend every morning in prayer and meditation, my readings. And whatnot, but I don't understand how I can have such strong faith and not give him my food. I try to give him my food every day, and I get tripped up every single day, and I'm I'm absolutely bewildered as to how I can have faith, but yet this disease is killing me. And you mentioned arrogance, and that hit home. Maybe I am being arrogant. You know, I got a head full of AA, and maybe I'm not surrendering to my OA program like I did with AA. I mean, I, I definitely am not. I'm not. And I find this monster so much harder than quitting alcohol. You know, it's like somebody said the other day. Yeah. Can we formulate yeah. a question, please? Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so sorry. My question is this: Is how can you have such strong faith? yet fail miserably in the OA program? Well, um, you're, uh, all I got to say is you're not alone. <laughs> you know, uh, most of us have come here with some sort of faith. And, yeah, I mean, you know, this disease is very strong. And, um, and I had to reevaluate, you know, uh, those concepts. So I would say, you know, you would fall under the agnostic where you have a power greater than yourself, but lack accessing the power to that greater power. Does that make sense? That's an agnostic. And I, I kind of like define that in the beginning of the talk. Um, and, and you can have a power, but you may not, you may be into religion versus into relationship. And that's one of the things that I had to look at in step two that was blocking me from accessing that power because I believed that God was powerful, but I didn't have the confidence or the faith to believe in the power of God. And that was what was missing for me was believing in the power of God. So I believe God, you know, I, I probably believe some of the same things you do, you know, that, you know, um, God has a power to create. God has a power to give life. God has a power to do a lot of things. But to handle my food? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, yes, you know, um, giving that to God and believing that he has a power to help you to overcome that is something that 
um, it's going to take going through these steps in a different way than you've ever done them before. And, and that's why I brought this up, you know, in step two, because I was taken through this process in this way. And what I was missing is that I never let go of the old prejudice. You know, I could have a God that could be the God of religion, and it's not my personal relationship with God. I could have the God of my parents, and it's not my personal relationship with God. So I had to look at that, you know, when I came into program and say, hey, you know, what are my concepts of, of that God? You know, what am I carrying with me? And I realized, you know, when I came in, I had borrowed somebody's God, which was a ter Trinitarian God. I had borrowed um, a, another religion's God, um, but I never had a God that was personal to me. So initially, it was as simple as getting the God of results, and that eventually evolved into something more bigger and better for me in my life. But it was a process, right, to let God reveal himself to me with, versus me trying to figure out God. And I think that's where we get stuck is that we're trying always try to figure out God, trying to put him in a box, trying to, you know, say, well, you know, I have so much knowledge that, you know, I should be able to understand God. Well, no, that's arrogance. You're right. That is arrogance. You know, uh, you never understand God. God, through time, through time and through your practices of getting connected and letting go. And I say letting go because this is not about holding on or trying to do. This is about not doing and letting God do his job. And a lot of times what we do is we don't let God do his job. You know, we interfere by getting in the way of things. So I, I just beg of you, just like, you know, lay aside prejudice. Uh, Reexamine your, your relationship with God and see what are the roadblocks that you're not letting God access to you or you're accessing God. So I hope that's helpful. Thank, Thank you. you. Andrea, thank you so much. Thanks to all who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Du, for this uh, incredibly beautiful, thorough, comprehensive study of Step 2, bringing it all out of the text, threaded together with your personal experience. Truly extraordinary presentation this morning. Thank you. Share ID for today, 16,403. That's one six. Four zero three. We're going to close now from page 164. You'll notice it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.